the day before my wedding, I had what you might call a um, bachelor celebration. We decided to rent a pontoon boat and take it out on the Hood Canal, right around where Sarah and I were going to get married the next day. There were 16 of us on a boat that was actually designed to carry 14. You can see where this story is going. <laughs> and I mean, I wasn't even the biggest guy on the boat. We had a lot of former football players on this boat, including my cousin from Texas, who is a very large man. By the time we got into the boat, both of the pontoons were completely submerged. What could go wrong? <laughs> My dad was driving the boat full throttle. We were listening to Tom Petty, having a great time. And my friend Matt noticed that we were starting to take on some water. And he shouts to my dad, hey, Randy. My dad's name is Randy. Uh, you might want to slow down. We're taking on some water here. My dad didn't hear him. He's got his sunglasses on, the wind's in his hair, Tom Petty's playing, he's feeling good, throttles down. But in an instant, things took a turn. The boat nosedive into the water, and I remember seeing this massive wave of water come up onto the boat. All of us sitting in the front irrationally panicked. I mean, we all know how to swim, but in that moment, you're convinced that that doesn't matter. You're going to die. <laughs> the six of us sitting up front crawl and claw our way as fast as we can to the back of the boat where everyone else is, but the boat starts to tip from the back, but as we rush from the front to the back, it goes and starts to tip this way. My dad yells, everybody, stop, 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 turns off the throttle, spread out. We all sit back down, coolly collect ourselves. have a little bit of laugh about it. I realized that I, in the frenzy, I had torn my jeans, bloodied my legs, lost my iPod and the speakers, and my iPod had our wedding playlist on it. <laughs> Whoops. As we were starting to go under, my friend Ryan, for some reason, panicked and just cast his phone into the sea. It was utter mayhem. You don't, know, you don't know how to respond. We all know, friends, that things will go wrong from time to time, but we never know when and we never know how. I imagine the disciples were not expecting a great windstorm to come out of nowhere that's the funny thing about storms. They often come when you're not expecting. Jesus had just spent the day standing on this boat, teaching a large crowd, teaching to a large crowd gathered on the beach near the Sea of Galilee. And while he's teaching, he's speaking in parables about the kingdom of God and the importance of faith. 
when he had finished teaching, he tells his disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. Do you think he knows what's about to happen? They're presumably sailing on these small Galilean fishing boats. Archaeologists have actually discovered remains of these kinds of boats, and they had very low sides so that it was easy to pull fish into the boat, but it was also easy to take on water. And as you may know, the Sea of Galilee is subject to sudden, violent storms. It really can come out of nowhere. I've been on a fishing boat on the Sea of Galilee, and it's, I mean, it's more of a lake, really. It's a beautiful place, but even on a quote-unquote calm and quiet day, it is still incredibly windy. We read that a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so the boat was already being swamped. They are taking on water. That moment of fear and panic. And as their boat was filling with water, the disciples come to Jesus and say, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? And where is Jesus? He's in the stern, taking a nap on a cushion. What? It's the middle of a great windstorm on a small, uncovered fishing boat, and somehow Jesus is sleeping? He's a heavier sleeper than my wife. (laughs) And we know that this storm is massive because at least four of the disciples are professional fishermen. They've been through storms before, and yet they are convinced that this is the one that's going to kill them. We're meant to notice, friends, this contrast between the fear and the panic of the disciples compared to Jesus, who's sleeping. Interestingly, all three of the synoptic versions of this incident, meaning that the versions found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all mention that Jesus was asleep in this story. It's a very important detail. Sleeping is an image of peace and rest. Sleeping requires that you let your guard down. You have to trust your environment because when you sleep, you're vulnerable. It's hard to sleep when you're anxious or worried or scared or angry or if you have kids. (laughs) The disciples are caught up in a whirlwind of fear while Jesus is the furthest thing from afraid. He's taking a nap on a cushion, sleeping like a Remember, friends, Jesus is the one who directed them to sail across the sea after just teaching about the kingdom of God and the importance of faith. And Jesus is asleep. Jesus is asleep because he is the embodiment of faith. He is the embodiment of peace. 
This is an intentional teaching moment from Jesus. He's just explained the importance of faith, and now the disciples are about to get a hands-on lesson. His disciples wake up, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? They come to him terrified, and they say, Do you care? Have you ever asked God that question? Do you care? Do you see what's going on here in our world? Do you care, God? In our country, do you see? Do you care? In our city, do you care? In the church, in our families, in my life, God, do you care? Have you ever asked God that question? Do you care? Because when we believe that someone stops caring for us, that's usually the end of the relationship. Does Jesus care? He's in the boat. Does Jesus care about the world? He died for it. Does Jesus care about you, friends, more than you could possibly comprehend? And whether you know it or not, whether you feel it or not, in the boat that is your life, Jesus is always there. But do you believe it? The amazing thing about faith is that it can start small. Right before crossing the sea, Jesus compared the kingdom of God to a mustard seed. He says that a mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds on earth, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs. If your faith seems small, be patient and continue to trust Jesus. Faith grows in powerful ways, but it begins by continually placing your life into the hands of God. And when we surrender our life to Christ, friends, we swim in grace as we slowly learn obedience. Now, we really like that first word, grace. It's always great. I love that word. But we have a harder time with that second word. Obedience. But the truth is, obedience is simply learning that the ways of Christ is the way of life. To obey God is to trust that God's way is the best way for you. Obedience helps us understand that. Trusting Jesus, having faith in Jesus means receiving his grace, but also receiving his teaching. And as we grow in faith, we become 
better equipped to face the storms of life, not because of our own strength, but because as we're growing in faith, we have a growing awareness of the presence of God, the presence of Jesus in our boat. So when the storms of life come, and they will come, will you trust Jesus? When money's tight, will you trust Jesus? When our country is in disarray and the church seems divided, will we trust Jesus? When I can't seem to break my addiction or shake my depression, can I still trust Jesus and the ways of Christ, believing that they are good? When your health fails, or perhaps worse, when the health of a loved one fails, will you trust Jesus? When you come to the end of your life, when the lights are going out in that moment, can you trust Jesus? When the disciples woke Jesus up, he rebukes the wind and he speaks to the sea, peace, be still. There was a dead calm on the water. The disciples asked one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Friends, who has the power over nature? Psalm 89.9 says this about God. God, you rule the raging sea. When the waves rise, you steal them. The sea, which in the Bible is often representative of chaos, and evil, the sea can only be conquered by God. Who then is this, this Jesus who conquers chaos and evil and even death itself? This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he's in your boat. And he wants to be the Lord of your life. During the season of Lent, we've been studying different forms of prayer, both in our sermon series and in our Lenten small groups that have been meeting throughout the week. This is the last week of our study, and it's on a prayer for security. Well, security doesn't mean protection from the storms in life, but being secure in Christ when those storms do Come. Psalm 16 says, Protect me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Those who choose other gods will multiply their sorrows. Now, our language today might be a little bit different. We might not say, Well, those of us who choose other gods are going to multiply their sorrows, but even today, We all will place our faith in something. As Tim Keller will say in this week's study, every one of us must choose to live for something. So the question is, 
Where are you placing your faith? Where are you placing your trust? Do we want to place our faith in ourselves? In our 401k? In our family? In our job? In our fitness regimen? Do we want to place our faith in the church? Government? People? What are you going to live for? The thing is, these are all actually, they're not bad things. A lot of them are good things. But when you live solely for any one of those things, you will multiply your sorrows either now or later because ultimately, every one of those things will come to an end. The security that they offer is finite. But there is one who has no end. The Alpha and the Omega. The Prince of Peace. The Lamb who was slain. The one who conquered death. The one who is and was and is to come. The life, the light, the hope. In him you can take refuge. You can find security because he is God and he is good. On that day before my wedding, we all kind of lost our cool, panicked and ran from one end of the boat to the other. There was actually one person who didn't lose his cool, my cousin Aaron, the big Texan. He sat perfectly still. He was sitting in the front Later on, he said that he knew running and panicking wasn't going to help. And I think the fact that he stayed put and the fact that he's a pretty big dude helped this boat from not capsizing when we all lost our cool. Fear and panic can be a dangerous thing. Fear fuels anger. It can fuel shame, sadness. Fear even has a role to play in the isolation that we experience. A lot of that relates to fear, our fear of being vulnerable with each other. Fear can destroy relationships. Fear can distract you from the truth, the truth of who it is that is in the boat that is your life. Fear can take your eyes off of Christ, and that's when the panic starts. Jesus' final words in, to his disciples in this passage echo to his disciples in every land in every place, in every time. These are the words for us. Why are you afraid? Do you still have little faith? No reason to be afraid, friends. Let us pray. Oh God, how grateful we are that in you, we can find that eternal 
sanctuary and security. That because of you, we have no reason to fear or panic because you are there with us every step of the journey, Lord. Help us to see you. Help us to remember you. And help us to obey you, God, we pray. And Lord, as we present our tithes and our offerings this morning as an act of worship, we ask that you would take these resources, use them and maximize them for the glory of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.